the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Hi, everybody. Ron Geyer and Time Insights. Thank you so much for listening. We are here again doing this. We're still in the book of Revelation. I thank God for you guys every day. Uh, I understand that uh, God has placed us here to talk to you about this. And we would like to love you for God by telling you the truth about what's going on in our nation, what's going on in the church, what we can look forward to. And today we are going to talk about chapter four, the book of Revelation, which is the rapture chapter. Hallelujah. That's up for debate by many, but I believe I'll make a good case to show you, to prove it to you today. Normally when I go chapter by chapter through the book of Revelation, you know, I don't spend too much time on each individual scripture, but that's not the case here. I'm only going to do two, chapter four, Verse 1 and chapter 4, verse 2. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on verse 2, but I am going to concentrate on verse 1. Let me read it to you. Father God, I pray that people have ears to hear, Father God, that uh, you would give them grace to listen, Father God, that you would open their eyes of understanding, Father God. I thank you that we will behold wondrous things out of your word as your spirit gives them truth, reveals to them, Father God, what you have to say about your end time church. Hallelujah. Amen. Chapter 4, verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, here, and I will show thee things which thou must be hereafter. So we're going to slow down a little bit on our teaching. I want to make sure you understand this. You know, we could spend decades learning about this book and still only scratch the surface of the information in here. But I read it. Who was it? Was it Spurgeon? I was reading this morning, and it just talks about that, you know, God has placed enough information in the book for you to learn what he wants you to know about him and about end time events. And if he felt that you needed more, he would have given it to you. So he has given us just enough information. So book of Revelation, the goal here is to get you a working knowledge of this book so that you can answer most people's questions so that you can identify things as they're happening. For instance, a lot of discussions going on with the vaccine and a lot of discussions are going on about uh, the mark of the beast and trying to make a correlation between the two. The vaccine, the mark, that is not the mark of the beast. None of that stuff gets revealed until the Antichrist is on the earth. And the good news for us, the church will be gone. I'm going to show you that today in Scripture. Hallelujah. Let's start here. After this, I looked, and behold, the door was opened in heaven. And so we see this. The first three chapters in the book of Revelation were things that were 
happening then and in the present. We transition now into the third part of the book of Revelation, and it's things that will be hereafter. Revelation 4 through 19 all takes place after this. After what? After Jesus is done dealing with his church. The Greek word uh, for after this is meta-autos, and after this, it's the same phraseology that's used hereafter when it's talking about the in Revelation chapter 1. Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Revelation 4 begins the things that are hereafter that God is going to reveal through Jesus to John. So after this, I looked, John looked. He looked where? He looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. So John, still on the earth, has a picture of an open door in heaven. Remember, Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 3 are all given from the perspective of John seeing things on the earth. Revelation 4 now is going to bring John into heaven, and John is going to be giving us heaven's view of what's going on. We're no longer looking from the earth into heaven. We are now looking from heaven down into the earth. After this, I looked and behold, a door was opened into heaven. After what? After part two of the book, which covered the things which are, remember, write the things which you have seen, the past and the things which are now and the things which shall be hereafter. We are now talking about the third phase of the book of Revelation, the hereafter. Hallelujah. It's really simple to understand. Uh, the 2,000-year period of what's called the church age, that's the things which John was writing about, which are now. Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. After this, after Jesus writes the seven letters to the seven churches, now we're in the hereafter phase. The church is done. It's finished. So what happens now to the church when the work is done? We're going to Take it easy now. Slow down. I don't want to confuse you, but I do want to give you scriptures to support my position that the church is raptured out of the earth at this time. You must understand it's at this exact moment when God removes the church. Let's look at scripture first. The Apostle John, he is solely representative of the church. John is the church. He doesn't represent Israel, he doesn't represent the bride of Christ, he doesn't represent anything else but the church. Nothing else. John is all church, all the time. Where John goes, we go. After this, he looked and behold, or wow, a door was opened in heaven. John is still in Patmos as he's writing this first couple of words here. And now he sees clearly right into heaven through an open door. The first voice that he heard, it wasn't a new voice. When he says, I heard a first voice, it, and I heard a voice, the first voice, he's talking about the prior voice. He doesn't mean the first voice I heard when I saw into heaven. He means the voice that I originally heard, which was the voice of Jesus talking to him in chapter 1. The first voice he heard was not a new voice, being the first of many he will hear in heaven, but it refers to the prior voice he heard earlier, that of Jesus Christ, that turned him around in Revelation chapter 1. This voice summons him right now into heaven. I love it. Some would disagree, but just read the word. Jesus summons John to heaven. Come up here. Jesus says, come up here. You're coming up here. You don't have an option. You don't get to refuse that. And so this rapture of John from Patmos to heaven is a completion of the scripture and the prophecy of 
when the fullness of the Gentiles come in. That's it. The Gentile world has seen the grace to receive the Messiah. The church is done. She's finished. She's gone. And now we are going back to getting Israel saved. Understand the timing of everything that's going on. You had the Jew man is 6,000 years old. The first 4,000 years, uh, God dealt with uh, mankind and he gave us the law. He gave us Israel up until the time of Jesus coming to the earth. After his crucifixion, we had 2,000 years of the church age. Israel rejected their Messiah. And we have the age of grace, the age of the church, 2,000 years. It began at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given to the church. It ends when the church is removed from the earth. Everything so far had been an earth view, looking from earth into heaven. Now we are about to look at things from heaven's perspective. Jesus tells John, get up here. The next phase of your ministry will be to let me show you the hereafter. So Jesus is about to show John the future. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one that sat upon the throne. When we get into the future references of scripture here, we're going to be seeing John's perspective in heaven is the throne. He gets called up to heaven and his immediate focus is of the throne and him that sat on it, God himself. Just as John was in the spirit on the Lord's day while on the Isle of Patmos, now he's in the spirit once again. Yet this time, his body is no longer on Patmos, but it's in heaven. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians four sixteen and 17 to show you the taking away of the church. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This pattern is significant. Jesus finished speaking uh, to and dealing with the seven churches in Revelation in chapters 2 and 3. All of the churches are comprehended in the seven together. They're compiled together. There's only one church, right? But the seven churches in the seven different areas in uh, Turkey, uh, God uses them to show us pictures of church problems, church successes throughout our time here on the earth. Now, after dealing with the church, the next step in Jesus' ministry is he calls John up to heaven, catching him away, is the phrase, with a voice that sounded like a trumpet. All this has happened before the great wrath that God's about to unleash on the earth to judge a man that has rejected him, including the Jew. As that great judgment on the earth unfolded, John, a representative of the church, was in heaven looking down on the earth. The church will be in heaven with John looking down on the earth during the great tribulation, the judgment of the unsaved people who rejected him and the Jew. Significantly, the word church never occurs in chapters describing the period of judgment on the earth, chapters 4 through 19 in the book of Revelation. You never hear mention of the church. The word isn't used. There's no implication about the church. The church does not appear in that. Why? Because the book of Revelation, the tribulation, it's all about the Jew. It's Jewish when you see it. Who is the one that was slain? The lamb. Who is the one that was ready to open the book? The lamb. These are Jewish terminology. Behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. The Passover lamb. Jewish. God is dealing with Israel in judgment in the book of Revelation chapters 4 through 19. He dealt with the church. Revelation chapters 1 through 3. Remove the church brings the church to heaven, and now we have 
God's wrath upon those that disobeyed him. The church did not disobey him. The church accepted Christ as their Messiah. Their reward is they have been spared from the tribulation. Let's look at the similarities between Jesus calling to John up into heaven and Jesus calling to the church. John was called by the voice of Christ. The church will be called by the shout of Christ. Jesus called Lazarus with a loud voice. Remember, Jesus got Lazarus out of the grave. People say, well, you know, he had to say Lazarus. He had to call him by name. Why? Because everybody else would have come out if he didn't call him by name. It was a trumpet-like voice that summoned John. It will be a trumpet call that will summon the church. It's important to note that the Holy Spirit was Jesus' gift to the church. Where the church goes, the Spirit goes. And where the Spirit goes, the church goes. Well, where is the church now? The church is right here on the earth. Where is the Holy Spirit now? The Holy Spirit's right here now in the church in the earth. John fourteen twenty six. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. That's Jesus promising the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. John fifteen twenty six. When the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you, the church, from the Father, even the Spirit of truth. I love that which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. The Holy Spirit never talks of himself. He always talks of Jesus. John sixteen seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I leave, says Jesus, I will send him unto you. So three evidences right there all in the book of John that Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit to the church. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to the church. Now get this. No church, no Holy Spirit. No Holy Spirit, no church. So then, if we believe the church is in heaven in Revelation 4, I'm going to show you that, then so too must we believe the Holy Spirit is in heaven during that time. Verse 5, And out of the throne proceeds lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. That's the Holy Spirit. True to form, we're going to make a case. We're going to show you both the church and the Holy Spirit are in heaven as John's looking at the throne before the throne of God in Revelation chapter 4. Not only are they in heaven at the same time, but here we're going to see that they're in the same place. The comforter, where does he belong? He belongs in the church. The church belongs to the comforter. Well, if the Holy Spirit belongs in the church, the comforter, and the church belongs to the Holy Spirit, then... Where the Holy Spirit goes, the church goes. Does the church cease to exist in heaven? No, of course not. Will the church need the help, the guidance, the presence of God's Holy Ghost to accomplish its work for Christ in heaven as well? Of course it will. Look back a minute. Second Thessalonians, starting with the revealing of the man of sin, the Antichrist. We're going to show you how the church and the Holy Spirit working together have a restraining effect on the man of sin, on the Antichrist. The Antichrist has a special time. It's called his time. He will not be revealed until it's his time. Well, his time doesn't take place until after the time of the church and the Holy Ghost is gone. The Antichrist and the church cannot coexist in the same time space. They're different. They have different assignments. They belong to different dispensations. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. Who opposes, talking about the Antichrist now, the man of sin, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he as God sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. This is the Antichrist during the tribulation, the second half 
it's called the abomination of desolation, where he sits in the throne that belongs to Jesus Christ. He sits in that throne and he's exalting himself like God. Don't worry, saints, that doesn't happen until you're gone. Here we see the eventual culmination of the reign of the Antichrist as he installs himself as the Messiah. Don't forget, he is the false Messiah. Right now, the world is preparing to receive their God, the Antichrist, the false Messiah. Well, the church is preparing to receive the second coming of Jesus. But the devil always has a counterfeit before that happens. And so he is going to exalt his case. He's going to make his case for his Messiah, the false Messiah. But God In his grace and mercy, Jesus removes the church before the second coming of Christ. Paul then goes on to describe the Antichrist more in depth with more titles and descriptions. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he as God sits in the temple showing himself that he is God. And Paul says, remember, last time I was with you, saints at Thessalonica, I told you about this. And he reminds them. And then he says, Second Thessalonians 2, 5. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? But in verse 6, we get a little bit more insight into God's timeline and what's happening here today. And now, Paul, to the church at Thessalonica, the second letter, because they had forgotten what he told him. And now you know what is holding him back, what is restraining him, that he might be revealed in his time. The word for withhold in the Greek is exacheko. I'm sure I screwed that up. And it means to oppose intently, to hold down with the sense that one literally has possession or a grip on. Here, something is holding back this evil, the devil, this evil person from manifesting in the earth. Second Thessalonians 2, 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now restrains or lets or allows until he be taken out of the way. So we see the Holy Spirit in the church is restraining Satan from manifesting. And we now see that a gender has been added. Only he who now lets will let. Talking about who's doing the restraining. He is doing the restraining. Who is doing the restraining? Well, it's no longer in it. Now it's in E. I like the CEB translation. The hidden plan to live without any law is at work. But it will be secret only until the one who is holding it back, is out of the way. So, before Satan can manifest in the earth through the Antichrist, something, someone, that is holding him back must be removed. I hope you got that. The better translation for he who now lets would be he who restrains. Many questions have arisen about who the something of verse 6 or who the he of verse 7 is. Most Bible expositors will agree that they are one in the same, which is, I believe that's correct. Some say it's the church and some say this is the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to what we just taught you. We know the church is going to be removed at the rapture. We also know that an end time grace age, church age manifestation of the Holy Spirit is his indwelling with the saints. We've already shown you where Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to the church. We also know both the Holy Spirit and the church are in heaven before the throne of God in Revelation 4. We'll prove that to you. So if the church is doing the restraining and God removes the church, guess what? The Holy Spirit goes with the church. If you believe that it's the Holy Spirit who's doing the restraining, well, that's fine. The church goes with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit goes with the church because he indwells believers. 
So who's ever doing restraining, Holy Spirit or church, it doesn't really matter. They are together, they are one, and they will ever be one. And if one goes to heaven, they both go to heaven. John fourteen sixteen, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. The church will never be without the Holy Spirit of God. If the Holy Spirit of God gets called into heaven, the church is there. It's that simple. Many believe that the church doesn't leave the earth until the middle of the tribulation. Some believe the church goes through the entire tribulation. Let's break that down. I've got a few minutes here. I'm not going to get it done, but I just want to lay the framework and we'll pick it up next week when we get back. But I want to use this passage of scripture to prove that the church goes to heaven before the tribulation. The purpose of the second letter to the church at Thessalonica that Paul wrote was to relieve the doubts and the fears the saints were having that they had missed the rapture. Remember here, they were scared. They were worried about something. What were they worried about something? I don't understand that. Well, they were worried that they had missed a rapture. Saints were dying. Persecution was great. And they were upset. Paul needed to calm them down. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now I beseech you, Paul, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be soon not troubled or shaken in mind, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as coming from us, that the day of Christ is at hand already. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day will not come, except there come a falling away first. That's the apostasy. We are going through that now. Except there come a falling away first, and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So Jesus is telling him, don't worry. The day of the Lord is not coming until A, first the apostasy, and then the second thing, the manifestation of the Antichrist. Dave Grusick writes like this, that the challenge in understanding this chapter comes from the fact that it is a supplemental chapter to what Paul had already taught the Thessalonians. And we don't know exactly what Paul said to them, yet the ideas are clear enough if we carefully piece this together. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, Paul clearly wrote of the return of Jesus, but the wording here implies a difference between the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him. This strongly suggests that perhaps there are essentially two comings of Jesus. One, he comes for his church, and the other one, he comes with his church. Do you understand that? Morris says it like this, they are two parts of one great event. This is completely consistent with other passages of Scripture, where it's indicated that there must be two aspects of Jesus' second coming, and the aspects must be separated by some appreciable period of time. We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. Apparently, misunderstanding of Paul's teaching or an incorrect application of it had caused the Thessalonians to be shaken in mind and troubled. Here, Paul used a strong wording, speaking both of a sudden jolt, shaken in mind, and a continuing state of unrest or being upset, troubled. Their fears centered on the idea that they thought the day of Christ had already come. The saints here were sorely troubled that the day of Christ had come, and they were in it. People think that the same thing today, yet if you read Paul's words here, you can see clearly what's going on. He had taught them that the day of Christ would not come before the rapture. They thought they missed the rapture. They would not have been distraught for any other reason other than the fact that they thought they missed the rapture. Why would they be upset then if Paul had never taught them the proper order of events? Here's the proper order. 
First the apostasy, then the rapture, then the manifestation of the Antichrist revealed, then the tribulation, and then the second coming of Christ. That's the order. Matthew 24, I'm going to have to stop before I get into that. That's so important, and there's so much in there. But the reason the saints at Thessalonica were troubled, because Paul had taught them. It doesn't say what he taught them, but by their reaction, we know what he taught them, because they thought the day of Christ was at hand. And the only way they would be troubled if they thought the day of Christ was at hand, if Paul had taught them that they weren't supposed to be here during the day of Christ. And the reason they would not be here during the day of Christ is because he told them that the rapture of the church was going to remove them from the earth before the judgment and the tribulation on those that have rejected God's Messiah, Jesus. Very important. You may need to listen to this radio show again just to get it. I will review it before I get into what we're going to talk about next week. Next week is Matthew 24. I'm going to show you some of the errors that some of those that think the church goes through the apostasy. I'm going to break down some of the scriptures that they use to make the case, show you where they are missing God and the error of what they're teaching. Very important that you know, if you are a born again believer, if you are walking in holiness, if you are reading your Bible, if you are obeying God, if Jesus truly is your Lord, then you will be going the rapture. You will miss the tribulation. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.